We are in week 40-something through the book of Acts. Week 40-something. I'm not exactly sure after a while you start, kind of like with your own age, you lose track of how old you really are. Um, I kind of lost track of where we really are in week-wise in, in Acts, but we're in the 40s somewhere, getting closer, pushing towards the end. Early February, it looks like we'll be done with the book of Acts, and then we do a hundred and some weeks in Exodus. Um, I, want to, I want you to hear something. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, specifically, that's page 928. I want you to read along with me. But before we get to that, I want you to uh, listen to these words that come from what's called the Canons of Dort. The Canons of Dort... Um, well, there's a whole history lesson that could be shared there. But these are words, uh, things that we confess together, that we say together, that we believe together about God's work and how he works out salvation. Listen to these first words and kind of tuck them away as we get into uh, Acts 19. As all men have sinned in Adam, lie under the curse and are deserving of eternal death, God would have no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin. According to the words of the apostle, that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be accountable to God. And for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. But in this love of God was manifested that he sent his one and only son into the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that men may be brought to believe, God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings to whom he will and at what times he pleases, by whose ministry men are called to repentance and faith in Christ crucified. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And, of, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? The wrath of God abides upon those who believe not this gospel. But such as receive it and embrace Jesus the Savior by a true and living faith are by him delivered from the wrath of God and from destruction and have the gift of eternal life conferred upon them. This was written in the 1600s about the good news of Jesus Christ. And you heard in here the, the gospel story of all have sinned. But God, in his mercy, provided a way for humanity so that we're no longer under God's judgment, under his condemnation, under his wrath. But how can people know unless they hear? So this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 19. And we are going to be listening carefully is what, what is God calling us to be about as a church? People who are under the word of God, how do we respond to the good news of Jesus Christ? So hear the word of God, Acts chapter 19. 
And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. So our text this morning records the establishing of the church in Ephesus. There's a whole epistle, a whole letter written to the the church in Ephesus, but here we we see its meager beginnings. And in Paul's day, it was a city of about 200,000 people. It was a sizable city. It was noted for its being a center of its magical art and especially for its temple to Artemis, the multi-breasted goddess. This temple was the largest building in the world at its time, as long as a football field, known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. But God, in his mercy, opened the door for Paul into this stronghold of Satan so that the church could be established and that the word of God would be growing mightily and prevailing. In fact, it says that all in Asia heard the word of the Lord. All in Asia. Because of what took place here, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. Now think about that. Because of the ministry of Paul, his faithful teaching, his desire to have the church established and to grow so that the gospel could go out, because of his ministry, what took place? All of Asia, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's probably during this, and I'm speculating, it's probably during this period that the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3 were probably established. Every Christian, every true Christian longs for God's church to be established and and to be extended as his word spreads mightily and as it prevails. It, It should be every one of our desires to see the church establish and extend its its fingers and its roots into our very society. And our text shows that for this to truly happen, There must be evangelizing. There must be empowering. And there must be equipping going on in the church. That has got to happen. The church must be preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. It must be empowered by God's spirit. And there must be pastor, 
elder teachers equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. All three were happening here in Ephesus. So our theme this morning, you could throw it up there, John. Our theme is this, to establish and extend the church. It's simple. To establish and extend the church, there must be evangelizing, empowering, and equipping. Those are the three things that you should see. If you are looking for a Christ-centered, Bible-based church, gospel-believing church, you should see these things going on. There should be evangelizing. There should be empowering by the Spirit of God. And there should be equipping people for the work that is to be taken place. If you see a person, one person doing all the work, you are in the wrong place. They're missing something. So first, to establish and extend the church, there must be evangelism. There must be evangelizing. Fulfilling Paul's earlier promise to the church in Ephesus, if God will, Paul returned about a year later after Apollos had left for Corinth. And he found 12 men, 12 men whom Luke describes as disciples who had believed. But as Paul talked with them, as he had conversation, as Paul was really good at just talking and tell me more about this. What do you believe? What was your experience? He discerned that something was not quite right. Something was missing. Finally, and we're only given a brief summary of his whole conversation here, Paul asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the men replied that they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit But since these were disciples of John the Baptist, and since John clearly taught the Messiah would baptize them, his followers with the Holy Spirit, it probably meant that they had not even heard that the Holy Spirit had been given in the sense that John had predicted. They had not fully understand. So Paul explained to them that the one that John had prophesied about had come, namely Jesus. No doubt he told them about his life and his death on the cross as a substitute for sinners, of his resurrection from the dead, and of his ascension to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And when they heard the gospel, when they heard this good news, what happened? They believed. They responded to this good news. Then Paul laid his hands on them And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Then Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months until an opposition group came up and spoke against them. And he left and went to the hall of Tyrannus where he spoke and taught extensively resulting in the further spreading of the gospel. Until what? All of Asia heard about this. So there's three things I want want us to grasp about this evangelism thing. Someone who needs to be ed... There are some. There are some people, even here this morning, there are some who need to be evangelized who already have believed and are in the church. You're saying, what? What? If they already believe and are in the church, aren't they saved? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The question is, what do they really believe? 
What do they understand about the gospel? These men believed in the message of John the Baptist, but they had not heard how Jesus fulfilled all of John's preaching. Even though Luke called them disciples, it's clear that they were not disciples of Jesus. And that may be true even in our church, here in Missio Dei Church. There may be some of you who believe in certain teachings or certain ideas or the idea of church, but you do not believe in Jesus Christ. You may be in a church your entire life and never believe in Jesus and his saving, atoning work for you. So the good news has got to be preached every time we gather. I want to remind you, brothers, of the good news that you believed in and which you stand in and by which you are being saved. This is something that we, we believed in, but we... We also are standing, the gospel is a progression. It is from A to Z. It's not just a, a one-time thing. We need to constantly be hearing it, all of us, to bring our souls to newer levels, our minds to newer levels of understanding the gospel, and for some of us, to be converted. To be converted. In a similar way, there, there's many in evangelical churches who believe in God. And perhaps even believe in Jesus in some general sort of way. That he's a good, good man and a good teacher. Someone that I should aspire to be like. But who are not truly saved. And if I asked you today, are you a Christian? Some of you might be offended. Say, yeah. In fact, I've gone through the membership course. Yeah. What are you getting at? Of course I am. I'm not a Hindu, and I, I, I'm not an atheist, and I'm not a Baptist. I know, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> Brother Sid, you may be saved today. But in spite of their answer, they are not truly saved. And how can you tell? How can you tell? Well, one way is to look for signs of spiritual life. We are not, we are not told why Paul asked these, these questions that finally got at him asking the question about receiving the Holy Spirit. We're not sure why he had done this, but probably he sensed that something was not quite right. Maybe they didn't understand the spiritual truth as he talked about. Maybe the fruit of the Spirit was not evident in their attitudes and their behavior. But Paul sensed that something that led them to that diagnostic question to determine whether these men, where they really were spiritually. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were saved? Sometimes you will be talking to people who claim to believe in Christ, who have been in the church for years, but you sense that something is not quite right. The, the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the entire word of God, their lives and this just are not matching up. And you're going, what is going on? Back in the day, and I don't know if this curriculum is even around anymore, there was something called evangelism explosion. Has anybody ever heard of evangelism explosion? Okay, some of you have been around long enough. 
there's two diagnostic questions that evangelism explosion uses that are excellent tools to determine where a person is spiritually. One, do you know for sure that when you die, you will be with God in heaven? That's question number one. And if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Their answers will reveal what they are trusting for when it comes to eternal life. What is it they are trusting for? A person must believe that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, paid fully the penalty of sin that we deserved when he died on the cross. And that a person must personally receive God's gift of eternal life by trusting in Christ, in what Christ did for him or did for her on the cross. Any trust in human goodness, in human morality, even if coupled with faith in Christ, reveals that a person does not understand the gospel and has not trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Second, when, a go- when the gospel is rightly preached, it draws a line and it divides people. Paul set, set something of a personal record here in that he lasted three months in a synagogue. For Paul, it, it's generally within a couple weeks that he's, he's booted out and often stoned, right? Kicked out of the city. So Paul set a record here for three months teaching in synagogue before he was forced out. And he was reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. Paul not only lectured, but also responded to their questions and their challenges. He took them to the scriptures to show that Jesus Christ is the promised Savior and the promised King. It refers to this... This kingdom idea refers to the realm where Jesus is king or Lord. It encompasses all that is entailed in the life of righteousness and peace and joy that is in the spirit. Whenever you make it clear to people that human goodness and human works have no merit whatsoever toward salvation, and that Jesus Christ is the rightful king and the Lord of all, all, some will respond in faith. Some will respond. But others will become hardened and disobedient and they'll speak of God's way of salvation as evil and distorted and ridiculous. Often people who oppress, who oppose the most are those who are, sadly, the most religious. And we see this in the synagogue those who opposed Paul the most, we don't hear it as the culture around, do we? But we hear it as those who are in the synagogue opposing. They take pride in their religion. How, how dare you suggest that we are sinners? And how can you possibly say that we are not good enough to get into heaven? Every re- religion except biblical Christianity appeals to man's pride by promoting a salvation through human goodness. But the gospel, rightly preached, rightly proclaimed, says that there are none good enough for heaven. 
None. No one here is good enough for heaven, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way that sinners can be justified, justified made right before God is, is by a gift of his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. That message divides people. And we can also say that all who truly believe in Christ should confess their faith. And if they have not been baptized yet, they should confess their faith and be baptized. John the Baptist was, had baptized these men when they repented for the forgiveness of their sins. But there is a salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. The old covenant saints were saved by believing in the Messiah that was to come, right? They were, their hope was in, in this coming Messiah. And after Jesus came, it was necessary to believe in him specifically. Specifically. And this was a transition time between the old covenant era and the new. And the fact that Paul had baptized, has them baptized in the name of Jesus, tends to indicate that they just now got saved. That they responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as a testimony as a way of identifying with Christ, they were baptized in water. Luke here is focusing on the fact that their faith is now in the person of Jesus Christ, not in the hope of a Messiah in general. It's in Jesus Christ. So, to establish and extend the church, we must, we all must be evangelizing. We must be proclaiming the gospel of faith alone in Christ alone. It is not my job solely. It's not my responsibility, my privilege solely. Each member of the body of Christ is called to evangelize, to see the church extended, expanded, and established. Every member of the body of Christ is called to be an evangelist in your home, in your workplace, in your extended family, in, in the tire shop, in, as you speak with a barista, wherever you go, you are called to proclaim, share the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's done, how? By faith alone in Christ alone. Secondly, second major point, to establish and extend the church, there must be the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. The empowering. After these men were baptized and they believe, uh, believed and baptized, Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them, causing them to speak in, in tongues and prophesy. Some of you are kind of freaking out, going, what does this mean? I've never had this happen to me. And this text has led, honestly, to much confusion in the modern Christian circles. Primarily because the interpreters do not keep in mind the transitional nature. And because the unfortunate King James translation says that since you, belie you believed, many in Pe the Pentecostal movement have argued that not all believers receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. And they say you should seek a second work of grace. 
where they're baptized by the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And they make speaking in tongues the mark of whether or not a person has received the Holy Spirit. And I've been in this world. I've, I've been a part of a church that said, Paul, for you truly to be saved, there must be this mark of speaking in tongues. So I, I don't know how many times I've had a group of people praying over me that I would speak in tongues. Never happened. So let me make three statements about the Holy Spirit. All who truly believe in Jesus Christ have received the Holy Spirit. It's true. Romans 8, 9, Paul asserts, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Spirit of Christ re refers to the Holy Spirit whom Christ sent. Even the carnal Corinthians had the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them and, and Paul told them that the Spirit baptized them all into Christ's body and that they were to drink of one spirit. Paul later wrote to the church in Ephesus telling them that, they, that when they believed, they were sealed by the Holy Spirit with a promise who is given as a pledge for our inheritance of, of what is to come. And if a person does not have the Spirit dwelling in him or her, that person is not saved. Two, Speaking in tongues and prophesying are not the normative signs of receiving the Holy Spirit. They're not normative. I'm not speaking against speaking in tongues, but it is not normative for every believer who has been born again, has been saved by faith alone in Christ alone to speak in tongues. It's just not true. And I could speak extensively. I've got three pages about that. And some of you are going, no. And I won't. But I would love to tell you if you, you're struggling with this idea of, okay, but what about this? What about this? Please. I, I would love to talk to you more about this. I'm not speaking. Hear me clearly. Uh, we've done 16 weeks on the work of the Holy Spirit as a church. So go back, listen for the podcast. What do we believe about the work of the Holy Spirit? Specifically speaking in tongues. But number three about the Holy Spirit. Those who have received the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ must learn to walk in the Spirit's power. Those who have received the Spirit through faith in Christ must learn to walk in the Spirit's power. While every genuine believer in Christ receives the indwelling Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, walking in the Spirit's power is not an automatic process. If it were, Paul would not have commanded us to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. Sadly, there are many who profess to know Christ, but their daily lives are more characterized by the deeds of their flesh, the deeds of their, what they really feel. The, they reflect more of the world than they reflect Christ. We could do well by asking them Paul's question here. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? 
And if you did, why aren't you walking in the, the power of the Spirit? Why are you not walking and being filled with the Spirit so that He transforms your character and your behavior to conform to Christ? Especially our families, but also those who know us, should be able to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives on an ongoing basis. That we are being transformed. That we are being changed. The fruit of the Spirit is becoming more and more and more evident. That the areas of sin that so deeply traps us is being put to death by the power of the Spirit. Those sweet sins that we love to go back to and nibble on and sometimes totally gorge ourselves with are put to death by the power of the Spirit throughout our lives. If people cannot see this, we need to make sure that we have trusted in Christ by faith and we need to make it a priority to walk daily in the Spirit's power. Men, we talked about last Tuesday, we talked about holiness that we grow in holiness. You are to be holy because I am holy. That's what God says. It's not a one done kind of thing, but it's a, a growing in holiness. Lastly, to establish and extend the church, there must be equipping. There must be. When Paul ran into stiff opposition at the synagogue, he withdrew his disciples and reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus, the hall of Tyrannus. One early uh, manuscript, probably not uh, an original, says that it was from 11 to 4 daily when the city was kind of taking their mid midday siesta, that Paul was teaching daily from 11 to 4. So think about that. Paul would have worked at his trade in the morning hours, Acts 20:35, and then taught his students in this school building during the middle of the day when nobody else was there. And if he did teach for five hours every day for two years, it adds up to about 1,500 to 1,800 hours of teaching over two years. Substantial. Some of us have a hard time committing to an hour of a Bible study, right? These people were committed about four to five hours every day for two years. Every day. And don't tell me that they didn't have families. There was a deep desire to grow in holiness and understanding the gospel and the richness of the gospel, the tapestry of the gospel laid out in Paul for two years straight. Every day taught these people. 1,500 to 1,800 hours. It was substantial. And the men who received the teaching went to the outlying areas and established more churches in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis. And the result was that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. This is, this is the last thing in verse 10. All these things happened. Paul taught them extensively for two years, every day. And what was the result? 
all of Asia, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is good news. We can, you can have evangelism and even empowering of God's spirit, but if there's no solid teaching, revival and growth will go astray. Sound doctrine is an essential foundation for establishing solid churches. Paul later warns these men to whom he had declared the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God, to be on guard against men from their own ranks who would speak perverse things, drawing the disciples away to follow after them. In Paul's final letter to pastors in, in Timothy and Titus, he, re, he repeatedly emphasizes the need for solid, solid doctrine. In our day, experience trumps doctrine. I just want to have this warm fuzzy experience with Jesus that brings me to tears and I just love him yes there is nothing wrong with a deep emotional connection with Jesus Christ he is the one who has saved us redeemed us took our lives from our muddy pits put us on solid ground saved us by grace through faith in him alone he has done a tremendous work in us and we should love him and give our entire lives to him however if experience and emotions are not rooted in sound doctrine, sound teachings, they will not be biblical. And ultimately, they will not sustain us or keep us from serious error. Did you hear that? Do not be afraid of hearing words like, Imputed righteousness. Some of you are going, what in the Sam Hill did he just say? Having a righteousness given to you and placed on you that is not your own. But it is the righteousness of Christ that is on you. That is critical to understand. Don't be afraid of words like justification. And being able to explain penal substitutionary atonement. What? Do not, when somebody uses those words around you, say, amen. Now explain that word to me. Do not be afraid of these words. Because these words root you in something stronger than emotions. Our emotions go like this, don't they? Some of our emotions go like this, right? Depends on the day. Very few, well, there's a few of us who are kind of like this. I don't hang around with you much, but uh, our emotions need to be rooted in something deeper and stronger. Sound doctrine is critical for the growth of our church, for the sustaining of our church. So to establish and extend the church that is so vital for future generations, for our, our children, our, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-great-grandchildren, and so on and so forth, we must, we must, we must devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word. Understand it. The whole counsel of God and, and the multiple facets of it 
And every time you turn the diamond of God's word and looking at the gospel, you just go, oh, that is beautiful. I've never seen that before. What does that mean? Look at this, this radiant. Look at, oh, God, you are so good. And from that comes my emotions and my worship and my life. Wouldn't it be exciting for us if we could substitute the greater Lincoln Way area for the word Asia in verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of the greater Lincoln Way area heard the word of the Lord. Because of the ministry of faithful churches in this area, would it not be just an amazing thing it would bring me to tears because we have seen God's grace and his mercy working but for this to happen we must we must convince ourselves that it is essential that we evangelize the lost we bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost we must believe that we must daily rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and we must equip the saints for the work of ministry. So as we close our time, I want to pray for you. For those of you who may have not received the gospel yet, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that you will be boldened, emboldened to share the good news of Jesus Christ that you will walk in the power of the Spirit and the confidence of the Spirit and grow in the fruit of the Spirit and that we will be more further equipped to do the work as fellow saints. Let's pray.